it's easy for us to take light for granted, isn't it? Think about it this way. If I go into a room that's too dark, almost always all I need to do is flip a light switch. And there are some rooms that I don't even need to do that because the light switch knows that I'm there. It senses my motion and it turns the lights on and I don't even have to think about it. So I can go find what I'm looking for. I can navigate my way around the room. I can be safe and secure. We can take light for granted in a way that people long ago, well, they didn't quite have that luxury. So while we may not be able to appreciate light with the same depth as some people of some other times, I still think we can relate and understand that light is important and light is valuable. The verses in front of us today from the prophecy of Isaiah do contrast light and darkness. And maybe that's not a shock to hear because there are lots of Bible verses that draw this same contrast between light and darkness. And these are used as, as pictures for all sorts of things. Light and darkness can picture good and evil. It can picture wisdom and ignorance. It can picture safety and danger. And we could continue that list as well. The verses in front of us today use that same picture, that contrast between light and darkness. And in connection with the other readings from our service as well, they tell us that we have reason to rejoice. And our reason to rejoice is this, the light has dawned. God spoke these words through the prophet Isaiah. And God used Isaiah to speak many things in a dark and challenging time in the history of God's people. Isaiah was a prophet to the, the southern part of the promised land, to Judah. That's where Jerusalem, the capital city, was. And Isaiah spoke God's word to kings that hadn't really lived up to God's expectations or directions. So a lot of what Isaiah said was about God's judgment and about God's rejection and about God's punishment for the wickedness of those kings. And so you might imagine that many of those kings weren't very interested in hearing Isaiah's message. They wanted nothing to do with what he had to tell them. And it probably comes as no surprise either that if the leaders of God's people were so eager to avoid listening to God's word, well, plenty of people followed along with their bad example also. King Ahaz was one of these wicked kings. He was one of the kings under which uh, Isaiah conducted his ministry, and 
The name of King Ahaz may be a bit familiar to you because we hear about Ahaz in connection with that promise that God made through Isaiah about the virgin being with child and giving birth to a son, and you'll call him Emmanuel. That's in Isaiah chapter 7, just ahead of some of the verses before us today. Well, the circumstance and the situation there, Ahaz, this wicked king, had not listened to God's promise, had not followed along with what God said. His people were at risk from the Israelites to the north, from the Syrians who had allied with the Israelites. And God was trying to communicate to Ahaz that he was still going to see his people in Judah through this challenge. Instead, Ahaz decided to enlist the help of an earthly power, the nation of Assyria. And the nation of Assyria came and it did manage to defeat Syria and to take care of the, the northern tribes, Israel. But then Assyria also threatened Judah and King Ahaz. And God still wanted to offer comfort to Ahaz that at this point at least, everything was going to be fine even though he was still warning about the people and their sin because destruction was going to come because of that, but not yet, not yet. And God was even willing to give Ahaz a sign to drive that point home. And wicked Ahaz wouldn't even listen to a sign. That's the sort of darkness of the kings and of the people and of this whole circumstance in which Isaiah was prophesying. That's the sort of darkness that Isaiah actually describes in this very prophecy. Distress, darkness, gloom, thick darkness, all of these terms he uses to describe just how, how deep, how abiding was the unbelief of the people and their wicked kings. Instead of listening to God, they sought out spiritists and mediums. They went to people who claimed that they could speak with the dead, they could tell the future, they could bring things to the king and to the people that nobody else could possibly know. And this was a wicked thing. We understand why people might want to know something about the future, would like to have less uncertainty about those things that God hasn't revealed to us. But surely God's people should have known that this was not the way to find out. This was not the place to find light. In fact, this was just more darkness. So that's what the people were stuck with, darkness, complete darkness. There was no light at all. The people didn't turn to, as Isaiah describes it, the law and the testimony. The people didn't turn to what God had said and what God was communicating through his prophets like Isaiah. And since they didn't turn to God's message, they couldn't have certainty. They couldn't find hope. All they had was darkness, deep and abiding darkness. And I suspect, 
that they didn't even listen when Isaiah came with a message of light. But that's exactly the message that he brought. He talked about the land of Naphtali and the land of Zebulun. These were the the parts of the promised land that were the furthest north. And you can imagine any invading army from the north, well, those were the first places to get trampled. These lands, Zebulun and Naphtali, were... uh, They they were disgraced. They were trodden upon and trampled repeatedly by their enemies. And yet God held out hope to them that at some point those areas would be glorious. Those areas would be where God would bring light into darkness where he would shine forth joy and celebration and hope. And that's exactly what God did. Many years, even even centuries later, in that same area, that land of Naphtali, land of Zebulun, Galilee of the Gentiles, just think, it had been cleared out by the Assyrians of the Jews who used to live there. It had been filled in with transplants from other places, other nations. And sure, at Jesus' time, there were, there were Jews scattered around there, but people call, still called it Galilee of the Gentiles. But that's where Jesus made his home base. That's where he conducted most of his ministry. Into that dark land came one who could, who could heal every disease and every sickness, who, who preached the good news of the kingdom of God. Into that dark land came the light of the world. And with his call to repentance, and with his invitation, he made disciples. Disciples who followed him into the light. He made believers who would have the light of life in their own hearts. In that dark land, God kept the promise that he had made in a dark land and at a dark time. And that shouldn't surprise us one bit. Because we have learned that when God makes a promise, God keeps his promise. Here's God's promise. As Isaiah stated it, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. And like so many prophecies that God would give to his people, the prophecy here that he gave through Isaiah was spoken as if it was already done, as if it was already complete. The light has dawned, God says by way of prophecy. The light has dawned because when God made the promise through Isaiah, it was as good as done. And then years later, it was done. God kept his promise. God fulfilled the prophecy in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And that's good news for you, and it's good news for me. It's good news for us because we know darkness. 
And I'm not going to make any extravagant claims about how we live in the land of, ne- of, of Zebulun or the land of Naphtali. I'm not going to accuse everyone here of seeking out spiritists or mediums. But I will say, and I believe you already know it, that there is darkness that lurks deep in your heart. And so at times when you ought to turn to God's Word and to His message and to His instruction, you turn somewhere else. And maybe it's to your feelings or emotions and you let them guide your decisions. Or maybe it's to other people and you let them direct your decision-making or the way that you might go. And you shy away from listening and taking to heart and following along with what God Himself says. And now, perhaps... There are some among us, and it wouldn't shock me one bit, who have turned thinking that that I might gain insight that God hasn't given to me directly in a place where He doesn't tell me to go or even warns me against, like a horoscope or a psychic. These are not places of light. These are places of darkness. But if that's not you and you say, oh, I haven't done anything like that, you you don't get to let yourself off the hook either because the darkness is, is still there. And all of those moments of darkness for us, they really reflect the darkness into which we were born as enemies of God, without faith, without hope, The only reason, the only reason that you have any light at all, that your life is not complete darkness, is because the light has dawned because God caused it to dawn for you. To say it differently, the same light that dawned in Galilee has dawned in your hearts. Just like the rising sun chases away the darkness and the gloom of night, so Jesus and His work and His ministry came to chase away the darkness of sin and the darkness of unbelief and the darkness of death. And Jesus' life and His ministry amply demonstrate that His focus was on God's Word. That this is what He was interested in, keeping God's will and God's Word in his heart and in his life. We spent a lot of this series, Jesus Appears, talking about the fact that we don't know a whole lot about Jesus as, say, a a very young man. We, We kind of lose sight of him from maybe age two up until about age 30, except for one event. And when he's 12 years old, he's at the temple. And he's listening, and he's asking questions, and he's answer- He's focused on God's Word, and he's focused on God's will. And he continues with that focus. 
As he appears on the scene, as he goes through his earthly ministry, his focus on God's will takes him all the way to his own death on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And so his relationship with the Father becomes our relationship with the Father. His attention to God's Word becomes our attention to God's Word. His perfection becomes our perfection. His light becomes our light. We have light because He has brought us into His family by faith and through baptism. And he feeds and he nourishes our souls by his, uh, his sacrament of his body and his blood. In other words, he has brought us into the light and he allows us to live in the light. And that is a, a light that brings us joy. Did you catch the pictures of joy that Isaiah uses in his prophecy? There's certainly two main pictures. He describes joy like the joy of a farmer who has already brought in the harvest. All the hard work is done and the fruits of his labor are there to enjoy. Or he describes the joy of a soldier who's come back with a victory and he gets to sit with the other soldiers and they get to split up all the plunder, all the stuff that they brought along back with them. That's the sort of joy that we have because the light has dawned in prophecy and in fulfillment and now in our hearts and in our lives so that we can have a joy that lasts forever. And so we can have a joy that we share with others. The world around us is still a very dark place. And there are many people, people who live in darkness, who live in the shadow of death. Some of them have heard God's word and they have said no to it. Many of them have probably never even had an opportunity. Darkness. If they continue to follow this path, there's nothing for them. The prophet's description of distress and starving, that description applies to our modern situations just as well. When they look down to the ground, I tell you, they will only see distress, darkness, and the gloom that brings anguish. They will be banished into thick darkness. This is the hopelessness. The hopelessness of anyone who does not have Jesus Christ. It's the hopelessness of sin and the hopelessness of unbelief. And everybody who continues down that path to the end of their lives will be banished into that thick darkness forever. That's hell. Eternal suffering and, and punishment away from God. But you have the light. You Know the light. And you can point others to the light. Your friend, your neighbor, your relative. You can invite them to church. 
There's plenty of room, and they can sit here with you where you bask in this light together with your fellow believers. You can give generously of your offerings to support this work, not just here, but throughout the world as well. And yes, it may be a little scary, but you can be the one to share the joy that you have to tell the good news, to be the one through whom somebody else hears this good news. The light has dawned for you. And it does indeed bring joy. We may take light for granted after all, We have it at our fingertips. I can reach into my pocket and pull out my cell phone and find a flashlight whenever I need it. Or I can flip a switch if the room is a little too dark. We can take light for granted, but we dare never take this light for granted. Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. The light has dawned in prophecy in fulfillment, in His ministry, in our hearts and in our lives, and for the whole world. The light has dawned and it brings joy. May we bask in that light and in that joy now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.